Welcome to Journey today. I see a lot of red in the house. So, uh, and uh, I was noting some other, other side red that was happening, but you know, there's prodigals in the house. We're praying for them to come home and you know, love you guys. <laughs> it's, I always just say that's just proof that, you know, Jesus is a uniter, you know, that we can all be in the same house together and, uh, and love Jesus and love each other. So uh, it's good stuff. We're going to be continuing our series called The Way. And we are walking through this process uh, of or this conversation of discipleship, of encounter, formation, and mission. And we're going into a special season as a church of prayer and fasting. And it lines up with the season of Lent. And that starts on what's called Ash Wednesday. It starts this Wednesday. And it starts a period of 40 days of fasting, of prayer, of almsgiving. And it's been, you know, something that's been part of the Christian tradition for many, many, many years. And for some reason, our streams don't seem to run in that, uh, in that lane very often. But I really felt this year that we were to, to tap into, to that history and the richness that's there to be able to participate. Now, I say it's 40 days. It's actually 46 days because what's interesting is that you, during the season of Lent, you don't fast on Sundays because that's resurrection day. And so on Sundays, we don't fast. We actually live in the time zone that is to come, the now and the not yet of Jesus in the resurrection, but also in the second coming. And so because of that, it's a day of, of feasting and celebration. And so uh, that's wonderful, actually, you know, as I'm thinking about that. Um, but it's a time of reflection. It's a time of repentance. It's a time of really preparation of our heart leading up to Easter. And I, I just say it this way, that Lent is to Easter what Advent is to Christmas. Advent is a time of preparation and anticipation that prepares our heart. And Lent, in the same way, it's a time of preparation and anticipation where we journey with Jesus to the cross. And so we're going to do that. And we're going to walk that out together. And I'm going to invite all of you who feel led to, to participate in this fast in some way, shape, or form. Now, some of us, when, when we heard 40 days of fasting, you're like, I'm out like that. I, I don't even know what that is, but I'm out, you know? And I'm going to give you, I'm going to talk through different ways as to how it, it's accessible for every single person, okay? So don't be intimidated by that. We're going to get to that. But really, fasting is an opportunity for accelerated spiritual growth because it exposes areas of our life that have been successfully hidden and effectively managed by our comforts. And so when you remove a certain area of comfort from your life, all of a sudden it creates an opportunity for there to be discipleship or for there to be growth you know, to happen. And if we always are managing our life to our comforts, then we never expose those areas of our life that need to be dealt with. And so we need to be more comfortable being less comfortable, <laughs> if that makes any sense. And so when we talk about fasting, man, it's a great way to do that. It's a great way for accelerated spiritual growth. Now, most of us don't enjoy that part of the process, but there's, there's a great opportunity that I don't want us to miss as a church. And there's something very unique about fasting. And I, I've told our ministry leaders, and I've told you guys last week, I am so excited about this season of prayer and fasting because I, I've been here many times and I know what it does when you do this and you participate in it. And so Scott McKnight says that fasting is like praying with your body. You know, the Bible says in Romans chapter 12 says, offer up your bodies as a living sacrifice. You know, certainly that involves 
areas like fasting. The Bible says that we're the temple of the Holy Spirit, right? And so one of the ways that we actually interact with God is not just in our mind. It's not just in our soul. It's not just in our will or our emotions or even our spirit, but it's also with our body. Think about how many times in scripture the Bible talks about lifting our hands, clapping our hands, using our voice. All of these things are bodily actions to worship the Lord. And fasting is like one of those areas where we pray with our body and we need more and more of that. Now, how many of you guys are hungry for more of God? Anybody like hungry for more of God? I believe that. Uh, And a lot of good things happen when we're hungry for God. But A.W. Tozer kind of really challenges us when I've got a lengthy quote here that really challenges how hungry are you really? And he says it this way, talking about revivals and stuff. He says, there's considerable truth in the idea that revivals are born after midnight. For revivals come only to those who want them badly enough. It may be said without qualification that every man or every woman is as holy and as full of the Spirit as he wants to be. Just think about that. Every man, every woman is as holy and as full of the Spirit as he wants to be. He he may not be as full as he wishes he were, but he is most certainly as full as he wants to be. Do you see what he's getting at there? He's getting at this thing that we, we say that we are hungry, but really when it comes down to it, we really are uh, ones that be, are able to be in more control of that than maybe we think that we are. He goes on and says, the problem is not to persuade God to fill us, but to want God sufficiently to permit him to do so. See, we have access, but many of us aren't yielded, right? And so the, he says, I mean, he, he, he just goes after it. He says, the average Christian is so cold and so contented with his wretched condition that there is, listen to this, there's no vacuum of desire into which the blessed spirit can rush in satisfying fullness. See, if we are so full with all of these other things, there's no vacuum of genuine desire to actually be hungry for God as much as we wish that we were hungry for God. He says, no, there's no merit in late hour prayers, but it requires a serious mind and a determined heart to pray past the ordinary into the unusual. And most Christians never do. And I know that's a pretty strong language, but I think he's onto something there. I think that many of us, we say that we're hungry, but when it comes down to it, we're really as full as we actually want to be when it comes to how much we're really willing to sacrifice to get there. And so when Jesus talks about fasting in the Sermon on the Mount, he says what? He says, when you fast, he assumes that if you are a follower of Jesus, this is just part of the deal. Like you're going to have this as a part of your life. And so then he modeled it to, for us after his baptism, before his ministry launched here in Luke chapter four, verse one and two, which we're gonna be in Luke chapter four, five and six over the next few months. Let's go back to it. And it says, and Jesus full of the Holy Spirit returned from the Jordan and was led by the spirit into the wilderness for 40 days. Now the season of Lent is actually tied in to the 40 day period of fasting that Jesus was in the wilderness. That's, that's the connecting point. It says being tempted by the devil and he ate nothing during those days. And when, when they were ended, he was hungry. That's obvious because I think I would be too, right? And so last week we talked about three things that we, we fast for and we fast for connection with God, deeper connection, 
And for correction, which is that season of Lent that we're actually going into, it's like rewire my, my heart and my life, God, and direction. But your assignment, your next assignment is directly linked to your ability to be connected and corrected. See, so many of us, man, we want to be directed by God into what is next in our life, but that direction is directly linked to your ability to come before God and stay connected to Him so that you can hear how you can be molded into His ways before you're launched out into His plan. The Bible's full of this. I mean, preparation time after preparation time. And see, a lot of us, man, we love encounter and we love going on mission for God, but we do not like the formation part of God, which is actually the preparation time. And so that's why we as a church, man, we're going to spend some time in this formation, the, the low and slow. I hate to use a barbecue rest, your reference, we're talking about fasting, but come on. It is that low and slow process that many of us do not like. We want to kind of, you know, if, you're, if you've ever smoked meat or something like that, you want to go and check on it, don't you, right? And it's like, man, come on, is this ready yet? But sometimes you got to just let the unseen work, the unseen spirit of God do a work on the unseen part of you and just low and slow. And so this week, I want to talk about three things that happen because we fast. So things we fasted for last week, three things that I believe can happen when we fast. Let's keep going in verse three. It says, then the devil said to him, if you're the son of God, command this stone to become bread. How many of you guys know if you've been fasting 40 days, everything looks like food, right? I mean, so I'm sure, you know, Satan's using this, this moment to say, that looks like a loaf of bread over there. Wouldn't you like to turn that into one and, and just go ahead? And Jesus answered him and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. There, there's a lot of different takes on what's happening in, in these three different temptations. I'm just going to share to you, as I was reading this past week, what God was revealing to me about the area of fasting. And one, one of the things I think is going on here is that Satan was trying to tempt Jesus to use the authority he had to misuse the authority he had to satisfy his own flesh instead of doing the will of God. And so one of the things that fasting can do, the first thing I want to mention is that it has the ability to reset our convictions. You see, because we tend to drift. How many of you guys ever drift? Like you, you find yourself just drifting in life. And, and here's what, the way it happens spiritually. You know, what once was unthinkable, like, oh, I'd never do that. Now the, all of a sudden becomes plausible. And then once what was unthinkable now becomes plausible, what was plausible now becomes acceptable to us. And then what was acceptable now becomes repeatable. See, that's how a drift happens. It doesn't go from unthinkable to repeatable. It starts a drift beginning to happen. Unthinkable, plausible, acceptable, repeatable. And, and so we tend to drift. And so we have to have these anchor points with God. One way to look at it is this. Prayer connects us with God. Fasting disconnects us from worldly things. See, there's a reason why we need to not just pray, but we also need to fast is because there, there's this habit, this discipline, this formation process, that this practice that fasting helps us to learn how to disconnect our natural desires 
from the things of this world or for the things of this world so that we can have more of a hunger for God. And it resets our convictions so that we line back up with the will of God for our life because we tend to drift. Do you remember the story of Daniel? You know, Daniel was a young man in Israel and the Babylonians came and they extracted all of the young, best and brightest. They took them into Babylon to re-educate them into the ways of Babylon. And they were trying to essentially wipe out the, the history and the future of Israel by doing this, by extracting them and essentially brainwashing them into the culture and into the ways of Babylon. Does it sound familiar to anybody how we might tend to be in, we might be exiles in Babylon, even where we're at? And, and we're tempted, you know, there's a temptation for us to be rewired into the ways and the culture of this world. And so we have to, from time to time, step back and, and analyze areas of our life where we have drifted, where we're lining more up with the culture of Babylon than we are with the culture of the kingdom of God. And so, as Daniel's there in Daniel chapter 1, verse 8 and 9, it says, But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And gave, God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. See, one of the areas where he was tempted to drift and to conform in his convictions was what, with what he was eating and drinking. It was just commonplace to do certain things in Babylon, but from where he was at, his personal convictions from back in, in his kingdom, that's just not what you did. But he could have just easily just blended in with Babylon, right? But no, he, he had an opportunity to reset convictions. Now, technically, we call this the Daniel fast. If you've ever looked at, at this and you've ever fasted, how many of you guys have ever done a Daniel fast? Anybody ever done that? We call it the Daniel fast, but technically Daniel wasn't even fasting. I mean, he was literally just resetting his convictions. He was just reestablishing his convictions when he found himself in a worldly culture. And sometimes you just need a reset. You need to reset your convictions. And so part of my hope, what's exciting about a fast is it gives you an opportunity to reset your convictions, to, re, to step away from the things of this world and to, and to have clarity of mind as to what God wants in your life and what God wants out of your life. And it may be different for each and every one of us. There's all kinds of things we could fast. And we'll talk about that here in just a moment. But how many of you guys were here last week and I showed a really horrible, funny, bad video, right? Well, I've got another one for this week. It's not as bad, but it's still really bad, okay? It's not as bad, but it's bad. And it just gives us some ideas of ways to look at fasting, maybe the way, maybe some wrong ways some of us have looked at fasting. So let's check it out. I, I think fasting's awesome. I mean, where else can you combine spirituality and dieting all in the same way? I mean, I think it's a bound wrap, pound for pound it does. You know, people think it's for monks or supermodels and stuff like that. But I'm here to tell you it's for everybody. Last summer, I had a 20-year reunion slash barbecue slash swim party to go to. And I done but had to drop about 85 pounds. So thanks to fasting, what has two thumbs and look good in a swimsuit? This guy. Thank you, Jesus. Fasting? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's great to uh, skip a meal or two so you can hear God's voice better, you know? Stay plugged into him. Yeah. You know, some people uh, fast from phones and music and gadgets. What? 
that's that's not a sacrifice. That's that's not even biblical. I mean, that that's crazy talk, you know? I mean, God gave us this stuff so we could stay plugged into him, maximize our lives. It also keeps us busy enough to never be still or quiet. Are you even a Christian? I dare you to fast from your phone for one minute. <laughs> you know, fine. Minute. You got it. No biggie. I don't care. I probably should take that. I fast. Okay, that's a total lie. I don't even fast at all. Okay, I want to. Another lie. Don't even think about it. Deal is, I'm hypoglycemic and diabetic, and that's not even close to the truth at all, okay? Hey, even the Bible says, he who hopes dies fasting, right? Right? Okay, Benjamin Franklin said that right before he died. Bottom line, fasting makes me hungry. Are we almost uh, done? Hello, I'm Brett Johansson, and I believe that fasting is one of the greatest spiritual disciplines one can achieve in their faith. When my family or friends invite me to go to lunch, I gently remind them and passive-aggressively admonish them by reminding them, did you not get my fasting notification email? Oh, that I had the luxury to eat lunch like you do. <laughs> Every year around Easter, I go through a 40-day fast to heighten my sensation of the Easter holiday. This year, however, I've decided to tack on 10 extra days. <laughs> so by the time we celebrate Resurrection Sunday, I will have been fasting for 50 whole days. If I survive. In my fast, I have a very rigid schedule. And if you do not have a rigid schedule, then God does not approve. Some people like to cheat and they drink flavored waters and juices within the fast. You must be drinking unfiltered well water. And if you do not drink unfiltered well water, God does not approve. In the afternoon, I put a cone of silence around me. I do not talk to anyone. Yes, that does annoy people. Yes, it does anger my coworkers. I am persecuted within my fast. And if you are not persecuted within the fast, God does not approve. When I get home, I go straight straight to my prayer closet. I do not talk to my wife. I do not play with the kids. I let them fend for themselves. And if the kids do not fend for themselves and the wife does not get talked to, God does not approve. You know what? I'm going to ask nice one more time and then I am not in control of what happens, okay? So give me the phone. Okay, fine. I need the phone. I, I need to call. Um, it's bad. That's bad, but... Okay. I'm glad you enjoyed it. I'm glad you enjoyed that. Um, so there's, you know, they're making mention that all these different ways that people fast. Now, some people make the case that biblical fasting, like true biblical fasting, is technically just fasting from food or water. And I believe that that's accurate, but I also believe we can have an open hand with it. And really the idea, the principle behind fasting is to make room in our life and space in our life for God to do something. And so, you know, we can do that in other areas of our life. So what are some ways that we could fast? So we can do, you know, you could do a, what's called a Daniel fast. And if you want resources, we'll be putting out stuff online and stuff like that. I'm sure uh, as we go through this, uh, Daniel fast, you know, you could abstain from certain meals or certain types of food. 
food, you know, so it doesn't have to be just a full, like I'm not eating. You could do what a lot of the, um, the earlier Christians would do. They would fast until sundown on certain days. Sometimes people would take like a certain meal of the week, like on Friday, and they would fast that meal and then use the money that they would have spent on a meal to give to someone in need. And so there's all different ways that you can fast. You know, for me, I might do something different each week of Lent. I might do a, a social media fast or a media fast in general, because how many of you guys know that's probably like that guy in the video is probably harder than really fasting food for some of us, right? And so uh, you could do, you know, fast, you know, food one week, you could fast, you know, a meal one week, you could fast till sundown, you could do all sorts of different things, a TV show, anything uh, extra that, that, that is getting in your way of your walk with God. So I encourage you to take some time in prayer and to ask God, like, what should I participate in, you know? And if you've never done this before, I mean, don't like fast all the 40 days with no food or something like that. Like start off where you can, start off, be led by the Spirit of God. But I'm telling you, you can do a whole lot more than you think you can as well. And so, it, you know, fast something that actually is going to disrupt you in a good way. Because if it doesn't mean something to you, it probably doesn't mean something to God. You know, like someone is like, I'm going to just fast broccoli, you know, like, <laughs> like you never eat broccoli anyway, you know, so like, like Brian, he, he brought something. I'm going to, our camera guys are going to freak out. I'm not even on the camera right now, but <clears throat> this is what some of you guys know me. This is what Brian brought me th today. <laughs> now, if you don't know me, the fact that I'm holding this is a miracle. This is what I call. Satan's melon. This is like, I, I do not like this whatsoever. I, I mean, I think this was grown, this was created after the fall and after sin entered the world. But so this is not, it, it, I, I don't have to fast this. I have fasted this all of my life already. I'm not, you know, so find something. We need to get this out. You know, I don't know what to do with that. Okay. We're going to get rid of that. Now I've got to, I can't even preach now. Okay. Oh my gosh. Okay. So find something that means something to you and that will, but why? Because we tend to drift. And if you've sensed a drift in your convictions, in your priorities, fasting can be a reset. All right, let's keep going. What's the next thing? Luke chapter four, verse five. And the devil took him up, second temptation here, and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, to you, I will give all this authority and their glory for it has been delivered to me and I give it to who I will, whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him and said, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. And so essentially what the enemy is trying to do is trying to get Jesus to switch sides. You know, it'd be like, you know, somebody trying to get us to become 49ers fans all of a sudden, like uh, last minute, or Chiefs fans last minute, right? Yeah. <laughs> I love you guys. Um, so what fasting can do, I got to stay on topic. What fasting can do is it can actually reveal our loyalties. Because just like we can drift in our convictions, we can also drift in our loyalties, and so we, what, how do, what does this look like? Well, it looks like when we start to trust in our job as our source instead of Jesus as our source. And all of a sudden we get super concerned, like we start trusting in the economy as our source rather than Jesus as our source. When we start to trust 
in things like our own happiness for fulfillment instead of what the Bible promises that if we walk in holiness, that we'll, we'll find true fulfillment. It's like when we, we start to drift and we start to think that other people hold the key to meet all of our needs and when they're not doing it, somehow we, we can't survive when it, instead it's, it's really God who meets our needs, right? And so this drift happens and fasting has a way of just exposing those things. I can't tell you how it all works. I'm just telling you that it, it happens. And what happens over time is we start to get mixtures in our life, mixtures of loyalties where we're, we say we're loyal to God, but we're also tr actually loyal to these other things. And we even have a hard time sorting them out. And so fasting has a way of getting rid of the mixtures and getting back to kingdom first. And it rids our heart of impurities. But it also, you know, practically, fasting obviously rids our bodies of impurities too. So there's a picture in the natural of what's actually happening in the spirit. In Jensen Franklin's book on fasting, he says this. Now, I'm not a nutritionist or scientist or whatever, but this is just what it said in the book. It's just, it was a little disturbing to me said, tests have proven that the average American consumes and assimilates four pounds of chemical preservatives, coloring, stabilizers, flavorings, and other additives each year. I don't, uh, that's a lot, right? And it says, these build up in our bodies and cause illness and disease. And so fasting has a way of purifying, getting rid of toxins in our life even, just even in the natural there, there's another example in that book of a guy named, uh, who was a doctor, Dr. Tanner. He was a medical doctor. And at age 50, he decided that he was going to go on a fast just to see, like it was a spiritual thing, but also just he was under medical supervision and he fasted food for 43 days straight. And they analyzed him at the end of it. And he, he was found to be much healthier at the end of that 43 days than he was at the very beginning. And so later on, when he was 60, he fasted for 50 days straight. And during that time, he had all these encounters with God and different things that happened. But then he kept fasting uh, throughout his life. And at age 77, he fasted for 53 days straight. And one of the things that happened when he fasted for 53 days straight is his once thin gray hair all of a sudden started to regrow like black new fresh hair. Come on, somebody. We need some of that, right? I mean, nothing, nothing about 40 days. Let's go 53, you know? And But the point is that it's actually healthy for your body even. Like there's all these studies and stuff that, that talk about just, I mean, you can just Google it and all that type of stuff and find all these health benefits. That's why it's such a thing right now. And you think about it, like you're, if you've never fasted, your digestive tract has never had a break in its life, right? And there's something about like even giving your body a Sabbath, you know, it, that, that fasting kind of does in some ways. And so it, it pushes out toxins. It removes refuse and garbage. And I, I thought about that word refuse. Another way to, to look at that is Instead of saying it like refuse, you could say refuse. See, fasting not only removes the refuse, but it removes the refuse in my life. Where there's areas in my life where I tend to refuse God. Well, I don't want to do that. I'm going to refuse that part of that obedience. I'm going to refuse that sacrifice. I'm going to refuse that. I'm going to say no to God in areas of my life. See, when you step into fasting, it removes the refuse and it removes the refuse in our life. And we need that 
So it resets our convictions. It has the ability to reveal our loyalties. Let's look at the last thing. It's, it releases breakthrough. There's, it's not, how, anybody need a breakthrough in any area of your life? I mean, come on. That fasting has a way, and I'm gonna talk just briefly about what that looks like, but fasting has a way to release breakthrough in our life. Now, there, there's a guy named John Mark Comer who seems to be everywhere right now. Pastor Aaron showed a video of him a, a couple times, I think, over the last few months. And he's in, like, he's on every podcast. He's written a new book, and many of you guys I've seen are reading his stuff, and, and that's all great. But the, these these buzzwords of, like, emotional health and, and uh, contemplative spirituality and spiritual disciplines are just everywhere right now. And as we started getting into this, I started to see this, these things everywhere. And I was like, wow, this is like, like everywhere. And if you're like me, there's a part of me that like, when I start seeing it everywhere, I'm like, well, I don't want to do it now then. And so there's part of me, like as a pastor, as, as God started to lead us down this path and I started seeing this stuff everywhere, I was like, well, everybody else is already doing this, you know, I, you know, and, and, but then I was like, man, I don't want to miss out. If this is what God is saying to the body of Christ right now. Is it possible that we need this really, really badly right now? And I think we do. I think it's because, again, we, we're a church, so we're going to go after encounter. We're going to go after mission. We're talking about mission next week. We're, we're going to be heavy on it. But I think so many of us, we've skipped formation. And so fasting is one of those areas, you know? And so uh, anyway, I, I was... Uh, looking through some stuff and heard a story from uh, that John Mark Homer told this week. And I, and I was tempted to say, oh, no, I don't want to show it because it's everywhere right now. But then I was like, no, but this is just too good. I want to show it. And it's, he tells a story about fasting I've never heard before. And maybe you haven't either, but it talks about breakthrough and a story from history, how fasting was involved in it. So let's take a look. Let's watch. May, 1940, the Nazis have just overrun France. 338,000 Allied troops in retreat are trapped on the beach at Dunkirk. There's no hope of rescue in time. The British Prime Minister Winston Churchill is gearing up for the annihilation of the British Army, the last defense between England and the Third Reich's Blitzkrieg advance. But then, on Friday, May 24th, Hitler issues a baffling order to his generals to stop their assault. The German tank division stops just 10 miles away from Dunkirk. Then the city is enveloped in a strange mist that's a mix of fog and smoke and the German Air Force can't bomb the soldiers who are like sitting ducks on the beach. Then even stranger, the English Channel, notorious for high winds and choppy waters, is perfectly calm for three days straight. Historians say it was like bathwater which makes it possible for hundreds of small civilian boats to cross the channel and rescue the troops under the cover of fog. This story was made famous yet again by the director Christopher Nolan's film, Dunkirk. But what's not in that film is that also on Friday, May 24th, King George, upon hearing the news of the impending invasion, called the nation to a day of fasting and prayer. Thousands of people literally lined up to get into Westminster Abbey in London to plead for God's mercy. Just hours after King George called for prayer, Hitler ordered his tank division to stop. And over the next three days, all of the troops were saved. That generation did not call it Dunkirk. They called it the miracle of Dunkirk, the outcome of which arguably saved the whole of England. Now, was it a miracle or just a coincidence? God's response to prayer and fasting or 
just poor strategic planning by the German army. Here's what I know for sure. All through the library of scripture, prayer and fasting go together. You can pray without fasting and you can fast without praying, but when you combine the two, it's like there's a chemical reaction that amplifies the power of prayer. That's a pretty powerful story, right? How many of you guys have never heard that before? I had never heard that before. And it's powerful stuff. We're going to be starting some uh, book studies uh, based on his book coming up soon. You'll be hearing about that as well. But I believe it's important the message that's happening right now. But there's a similar story to what he just told actually in scriptures. And it's a, a story that some of you guys have heard. It's a story about a guy named Jehoshaphat. And he was a king in a similar situation. Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse 2 and 3. Messengers came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army of Edom is marching against you from beyond the Dead Sea. They are already at Hazan, Hazazan Tamar. I just don't know why they didn't use En Gedi in the first place. Just use the... Jehoshaphat was terrified by this news and he begged the Lord for guidance. And he also ordered everyone in Judah to begin what? Fasting. So here he finds himself in a similar situation where armies are all around. And so what does he do? He calls a fast. And then God gives the prophet Jehaziel a word from God in verse 15. He says, listen, all of you people of Judah and Jerusalem, listen, King Jehoshaphat, this is what the Lord says. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged by this mighty army for the battle is not yours, but God's. Come on, somebody needs to hear that right now in your present situation. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. The battle's not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, march out against them, and you will find them coming up through the ascent of Ziz at the end of the valley that opens into the wilderness of Jeruel. But you will not even need to fight. Take your positions then. Stand still and watch the Lord's victory. He is with you, O people of Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid or discouraged. Go out against them tomorrow, for the Lord is with you. Now, he's, he's surrounded by these armies. He gives a prophetic word. He's told that you don't have to worry about it. You're not even gonna have to fight. And so they do something very, very interesting. You see, in our culture, we tend to celebrate victory after we've won. We sing, we are the champions, all that sort of thing. But in the Bible times, one of the things they would do is they would send out the worship leaders first before the battle. They would start singing and praising God as if to say, they, they, were, they were celebrating on the front side of the battle rather than the other side of the battle. And it was like, it was a way of saying, we trust God's outcome in this even before it happens. And it was almost like a taunt to the enemy that I'm gonna praise God because I know what's gonna happen anyway. See, some of us need more of this. Some of us need to start praising God on the front side of the battle because we trust so God so much that we're gonna be able to do it just the same on the other side of the battle instead of holding out and waiting. So watch what happens in 2 Chronicles uh, verse 21. It says, after consulting the people, the king appointed singers to walk ahead of the army. They're singing to the Lord and they're praising him for his holy splendor. It's another way to say, they're probably just singing, we are the champions. You know, they're just out there singing to God. And it says, they sang, give thanks to the Lord. His faithful love endures forever. 
And at the very moment they began to sing and give praise, the Lord caused the armies of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir to start fighting among themselves. Long story short, they didn't even have to do anything. There was enough confusion that the enemy took out themselves. Now, here's what I want you to understand. We talked about last week. You don't fast to get something from God. You fast to become something. You fast to become someone, rather. And we don't fast to make God do stuff. But that doesn't mean that God doesn't respond when we fast and pray, because he most certainly does. So I don't want you to be misled and say, well, I'm going to fast, but it doesn't mean God's, going to not, God's not going to do anything. I'm going to fast. You know, no, I'm, what I'm saying is that we don't fast our motivation to try to twist God's arm. But most certainly when we do fast and pray, God does move. He absolutely does move. I don't know how it all works. I don't know why it all works. I'm just telling you it does work. And so as we wrap up the story, the worship team can come back up, the story of Jesus, the last temptation. It says that in the enemy, Satan took Jesus up to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down from here for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you and on their hands, they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against the stone. And Jesus flipped around and he answered him. He said, it is said, you should not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Now, here's what I want you to see. It's not about making God do something. What, what was Jesus doing there? He wasn't going to do something in that moment to try to force God's hand. But what he was saying is that God was going to take care of him no matter what whether he did something or not, God was gonna take care of him. So here's what it is. It's not about making God do something. It's about trusting God to do something. It's just simply saying, I don't have to make God do something. I just trust that God will. And I want you to also notice that it says, and when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time because he discovered that while Jesus was fasting, it wasn't a great opportunity. And so he was going to look for a different time. I'm just showing you the power in fasting. I'm just showing you how much can happen through something that sometimes we don't give much credit or maybe we've never done. But as a follower of Jesus, he says, when you fast. And what I want you to hear is that some of us are just a fast away from a breakthrough. And I really mean that. I really do mean that. Some of us are fa fast away from a breakthrough. And so I want to invite you this week. We're going to start it. Ash Wednesday, we're going to start it. It may look different for every person. You may fast one day out of the whole 40, whatever. I'm just inviting you to, to just go before God this week and say, God, is there anything do, do I need more connection? Do I need correction? Do I need direction? Do I need to reset convictions? Do I need to, some of my loyalties revealed? Do I need a breakthrough in my life? I just want to walk in these areas and I know that God is faithful. So what we're going to do is we're going to receive communion. And I felt led to do this as we were talking about fasting, like coming to a table when we're talking about fasting. But what we're doing is we're simply trusting God with this. We're just, we're doing what King Jehoshaphat and his armies did because many of us are on the front side of something. And what we're gonna do is we're going to worship the Lord through an act of surrender and connection with God. 
by coming to the table and taking the, the cracker that represents the body that was broken for us and taking the juice that represents the blood that was spilled for us on the cross. And we're going to come before God and we're going to, just in an act of surrender, say, God, I'm all yours. In an act of faith, say, God, I trust you with the battle. And, and just in an act of, of, of victory on this side of the battle, we're going to receive a victory meal. <laughs> now, last week we talked about how when you read in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, it says, proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And that's the season we're entering into in the season of Lent. I believe that so many of us are going to hear from God in so many different ways of areas that need to be corrected and repented of and realigned, of things that need to die on the inside of us. But through that process, by the time we hit Easter Sunday, Easter weekend, things are going to come back to life as we walk through this process. And I don't know, if you can't get excited about that, I don't know. I don't know what to say. But I really am excited about that. And I'm excited about what God's going to do. And so there's tables in the back, there's tables in the front. We're just going to do what we do. We're going to take them back to our seat, come get the elements, take them back to our seat. Just open up ourselves to God for just a moment. Just shut out all the distractions. Shut out everything else that's going to happen later on today. And just sit there with just a moment with Jesus. Just have a precious moment with Jesus for, for just, a, just a moment, right? Just to be with him and see what he might do. See what peace might rush in, what joy might come, all of those things. So would you stand up with me as we pray? Lord, we come with a open hands and open hearts, prepared hearts and what you want to do in us. As we come to the table today, we do say by faith that we are more hungry for you than when we came in. We're more hungry for you this week. Lord, would you reset a hunger on the inside of every person, awaken a hunger, let a genuine desire for more and more of you come. Not hype, not stuff worked up, God, just a deep hunger on the inside of us. That's really what we want. So would you do that in us as we come to the table right now and we remember your death, burial, and your resurrection and all that it's done for us, the grace that you've given us, the mercy that you've given us, and the power that you've given us over sin, Satan, death, hell, and the grave. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's come receive.